Now, we are in our study in the book of Acts, and I suppose uh, we could not have seen it, done it any other way. You know, that in the midst of learning about the church, standing, moving, going out into different kinds of lands, you know, um, that we are faced with the reality that, you know, as the church goes out, as the church is, wherever the church is, it faces headwinds. I want to remind you about some of the things we covered last week before I plunge into today's sermon, right? Last week, I shared with you a word on going from no way to a new way and how the disciples on the second missionary journey had gone uh, all the way to Lystra and they wanted to enter Asia Minor, that is modern-day Turkey. And then God said, no, no entering Asia Minor, right? And so they can't really go eastward towards the western half of Galatia because it's mountainous, it's not very populated, it's difficult ground. And so they kind of snake along uh, the borders of Asia Minor and Galatia um, obediently, not really knowing what God has in store. And one thing I showed you last week is whenever we step into and walk in obedience to the Lord, certainty can go down. Clarity about what's next can decrease. Autonomy, our ability to control all the factors around us can sometimes be lost. And instead, it is replaced with increased suspense. So you don't really know what's going on because you're just trusting the Lord with each next step. What you get is an increase in ambiguity. You're not really sure about where is what and what comes next. And you're also faced with an increase in a dependence or a reliance on someone else. And when you're unsure about things, you're relying on each other more. But actually, you're really relying on God to provide you the next step. And we saw how it took them all the way to Troas, where God finally spoke to them. Actually, they, went, they got to Bithynia as well, right? To, to, to Mysia. And they wanted to go north to Bithynia. And God again said no, right? And it only it took them all the way to Troas before God revealed the plan for them. And in Troas, God said, sent a dream, right, to Paul, a vision to Paul of a man from Macedonia who said, come to Macedonia and minister to us. And so they go to Macedonia where what? Cities such as Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea stand there waiting for the coming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in the city of Philippi, that wonderful things took place, right? The great wondrous salvation of Lydia, the merchant, right, uh, um, be, uh, took place by, by the riverbank, right? It is in Philippi that the wonderful uh, 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 testimony of the encounter against dark powers took place and the exorcism of the slave girl occurred. And it's also in Philippi that the... I you can call it wonderful... <laughs> But the disciples were beaten and thrown into prison. And we learn from this experience that when you obey God, not only does certainty, clarity, and autonomy go down, suspense, ambiguity, and dependence, reliance go up, but also you experience a mixture of what appears to be good, fruitful success, as well as what appears sometimes to feel like setbacks. 
or at the very least, downturns, or at the very least, inconveniences, difficulties, challenges. And I want you to be able to see that these things all come together because right now, where we pick up from today's sermon, where it begins in the, the ending half of chapter 16, is that Paul and Silas have their feet and hands chained up their feet are in stocks those stocks are the those wooden clamps with just holes for the feet so it just kind of clamps down right they are in chains in prison you know i've entitled today's sermon jailhouse rock how many of you are familiar with the elvis song jailhouse rock right there is a there's a line in jailhouse rock that says you should have heard those jailbirds sing right and uh very apt for today's sermon because these jailbirds, you should, hear, you should hear these jailbirds sing, right? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. No, pause here, pause here, okay? They picked Timothy up somewhere along the way, right? They picked Timothy up in Lystra, if I'm not mistaken, okay? Where's Timothy in this? Timothy is not in prison, okay? So there are a few possibilities. So I just want you to know historically, like, hey, they picked Timothy up suddenly, the prison, only Paul and Silas, something, you know, you should be curious about these things, right? So some historians believe that Timothy, in the midst of all the chaos, stayed out of it, you know, they separated, and, and so that at least we have one person outside. We don't know, right? It's, uh, it's historians who speculate these things. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying And were doing what? They were singing hymns, right? To God And the rest of the inmates were listening to them Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake Such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken And immediately, all the doors were open And everyone's chains came loose That's quite something, huh? It's quite something. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, now, bear in mind, it's dark. They don't have light switches, okay? Um, and usually prisons would be underground. So there would be a door, there will be a staircase going underground, and then the, the prisoners would be in some vault down there. It's not always the case, and we don't know precisely. If you travel uh, to, to uh, Philippi today, right? Um, or the city where that, that would be historical Philippi today. Um, those of you who are well-traveled, you can, you, can, uh, you can fill in the gaps. There is a particular spot right, that, that your tour guide can bring you to, which is purported to be the prison uh, um, that Paul uh, 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 was Paul and Silas were in. Gates, a deep, dark cavern beneath, right? Uh, that's all Google uh, images can tell me. I, I need to travel one day, right? When the jailer woke up, he saw the prison doors open. Now, when the, if you're a jailer, right, you're like a prison warden, you look after the security of the prison. Your role is to make sure that prisoners stay in, right? If those doors are flung open, anything could have happened in the time that the doors have flung open. And so, presuming, of course, that people have escaped, this jailer drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, from underneath, or maybe from the staircase or somewhere, maybe there was visibility from where Paul was, called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because we're all alive. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and escorted them out. As he escorted them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now, I want to pause again on this particular point because historians ask, Bible scholars and theologians ask, actually, uh, how do you translate this? Because the word for safe is sozo. Sozo has kind of like a broader range of, of uh, meaning, um, a, a variety of safe, right? Your salvation in Christ, you know, uh, by faith, through the grace of God, you know, uh, um, the blood, the atoning power of God, that is sozo, right? Um, but when you are surrounded by enemies, you know, and somehow some, some power comes, greater power comes to rescue you from that, that really bad situation, that's sozo too, right? And so, it's quite unlikely that when the jailer was about to kill himself for fear of, I mean, it's his life, for the, for, for, for the inmates, right? If he is caught having been negligent and the people have escaped, he's a Roman uh, jailer. They will have his head, right? He will be killed in exchange for, for, for the prisoners that he allowed to be escaped, right? And so, in his computations, in his fear, in his panicking response, he decides that it's better for him to kill himself, right? So, in all likelihood, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? At that point, he's not suddenly going to Paul and Silas and asking them a religious question. He's not really asking them so much about like, you know, um, how shall my sins be atoned for? It would be really non-secular, you know, for a man in this condition. More likely, um, he's asking when he says, what must I do to be saved? He's asking something like, what must I do to be rescued from this messy situation, Right? Gates have opened He's left hanging here He still needs to account For every single inmate He can't take Paul's word Exactly for what it is He's a mess He just almost killed himself What must I do To be rescued From this bad situation And Paul As the apostles often do When they give answers Gives an answer That can be heard On multiple levels And it's such a loaded And powerful layered Response. Paul's response is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be sozoed. Right? In other words, Paul is saying that on one level, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be rescued from this situation. God will rescue you from this situation. But actually, for you and I who have ears to hear, we know that the deeper layer beneath this is belief in the Lord Jesus and all the things that you may or may not have asked about the religious part of sozo of the saving power of, over your sins, which you, he, this guy may not even have been thinking about his sins and the need for atonement and, and, and you know, penal substitution and all this. He's not thinking of all these things. But Paul is saying, right, when you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. And then Paul brings his family into the conversation. He says, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. Now, this is strange because they are in a jail. And suddenly, his household suddenly shows up. So, uh, one, one thing that can be posited is that the family lives not far away or is somewhere in the quarters. He's a jailer. He works night shift, you know. And an earthquake has taken place. Family has come to see him, you know, in the midst of all this. So, the family does show up, 
Okay, that's what we know. Family shows up, you know, and probably that's what Paul is saying when he includes the family, believe in the Lord Jesus, you know, not just you, but he sees the household there with them, right? You and your household, all of you believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be rescued from the mess, not just of this situation, but the mess of your eternal, you know, fortunes. And so he took them that same hour, he, this is the jailer, he took Paul and Silas that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. So the jailer washes their wounds. Then right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. This is fascinating. Fascinating because it begins in a jail type setting. It ends with what looks totally not like a jail setting, right? Um, uh, by the way, if you are wondering, like, hey, how come he can suddenly go home, can makan, oh, and then the jail, the jail door open, you know? Presumably, other guards come and come and jaga us all, huh? you know? Um, so let me, let me just give you a quick run-through of what happens next because I'm going to spend more time on the encounter with the jailer. But what happens is the next morning, Paul and Silas get their release notice, okay? Uh, so messenger comes, he says, you're okay. Uh, and the magistrate says you can be released, right? Paul says, no, I'm not going to be released just like that. You beat us illegally. I'm a Roman citizen. Silas is a Roman citizen. You beat us illegally. So, we're not going to just go away. You have to come, tell the magistrate to come and give us a personal public apology. So, word goes back to the magistrate. Magistrate freaks out because like, they are Roman citizens. Next time, check before you beat people, right? <laughs> Make sure you don't beat Roman citizens, right? Because uh, other magistrates uh, in, the, in, his, in Roman history have abused Roman citizens and, and, and done things outside of what Roman law allows and, and run into a lot of trouble before as well. Another day's story. So, magistrate comes personally to apologize, right? And urge the disciples, Paul, Silas, to just fast, fast leave town, right? Just, just get out of town, right? And Paul, Paul doesn't want to fast, fast leave town, right? <laughs> Almost as if to show the magistrate that I'll leave when I want to leave. Right, um, uh, he's, he has huge political leverage now because this magistrate is on his knees. He is, if word gets back, you know, up the, the the political ranks that this particular magistrate has beaten Roman citizens and jailed them without trial, you know, uh, he is in trouble and his political future is is cut short, right? And so Paul, uh, with so much political leverage, refuses to leave just, he says, I'll go when I want to go. I've got a few friends to visit and I'm going to go visit them first. Thank you very much. Right, now you can leave, right? And, and so Paul visits the house of Lydia, uh, the merchant who was uh, not too long ago just saved, you know, and they, and they minister to her and her household before departing and setting off to Thessalonica. Now, I'm going to show you three things, right? When you face downturns with praise and prayer, your witness does wonders and rescue eventually leads to rejoicing. I'm going to say that again because the three points are all in here. When you face downturns with praise and prayer, your witness does wonders and the rescue that take, takes place will lead to a great rejoicing. But first, for all of these things to take place, 
there is going to be there are going to be downturns you're going to need to make peace with the fact that life is not going to be smooth sailing there will be challenges there will be suffering moments and difficulties and pain grief you know but the example that the Lord shows us is to face our downturns with praise and prayer. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know how they were doing the singing hymns to God. Now, traditionally, I always imagine them uh, to be in their chains and in their stocks and they're going like, Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! And they're like shaking, you know, and praying fervently and then suddenly the earthquake happens, right? Um, and maybe not. I, I don't know, right? No, we just know that the Word says they were praying and singing hymns to God, right? Now, I don't know about you, when I'm in a really bad place, I can't just go like, Hallelujah, Jesus. Like, I just can't, right? I'm overwhelmed sometimes with grief, with, 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 with you know, negative emotions, anger, uh, 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 pain, whatever it is. And it does take a while, you know, before I can just snap out of it. Unless you all can. Yeah, anybody here just like, woo! No, right? No, right? It, it, it takes all of us uh, um, a bit of a journey. Right uh, before we can kind of like lift our spirits up and have fire. Now, that may have been true for them, right? But I do know that these guys are like constantly in the Lord, you know, and if you and I would be as constantly in the Lord as them, then maybe that window becomes smaller and smaller, or rather that, that pathway becomes shorter and shorter, and we can pray in fire and fervor. Now, I don't know about you, I find it easier to rouse my spirit up through prayer than worship, but some of you may find it quicker to rouse your spirit through worship than prayer, right? And that's okay. I just want to show you this because when they prayed and sang worship before the Lord, a violent earthquake shook the foundations. Now, I don't think it's a total stretch for me to say this, that your praying and your worship can shake foundations can shake foundations of injustice, can shake foundations of retributive violence, can shake foundations of cruelty, can shake foundations of, of whatever, right? Darkness, immorality. Your praying and worship can shake foundations too. Not always will earthquakes, literal, physical, Richter-scale earthquakes take place, but earthquakes in the spiritual atmospheres can take place and will and do wherever God's people bring their hearts before the Lord and pray and worship. And then prison doors get open. And was it not Jesus who said that I have come to set captives free? I have come to proclaim liberty to captives, right? And the year of the Lord's favour. Now I don't know why all the other prisoners in there were in prison, what they were convicted for. But guess what? It wasn't just Paul and Silas's chains that were broken, huh? That earthquake came and everyone's stocks and chains were open. As if God was saying that I am here to set all of them free too. And we don't know what happened the rest of the night after Paul and Silas had their meal and went back down into the prison to continue seeing out the rest of the night. We don't know. But we do know one thing that those guys were listening in. And I'll talk a little bit more about their listening in later. For now, I want you to see that when they were in their darkest... Oh, they've, had, they've had quite some dark moments, but they were in one of their dark moments, right? 
And when, when they were in the one of their dark moments, they lifted up their voice and they prayed and they worshipped. My friends, this should not be something strange. This should not be something strange because the Word of God says in 1 Peter, you rejoice in this, even though for now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. But why? Why does God put grief? Why does God put trials before you? So that, every time you see in the Bible the so that, right? It gives reason for the thing that just took place. Why do you experience challenges? So that the proven character of your faith may result in praise. So that the proven character of your faith, meaning that the character of your faith needs to be proven. I don't know if you're proving it to anybody else. You need to be proven to yourself. You need to be able to see that your faith has strong character. Your faith has guts. Your faith has trust. Your faith has fire. And you may not know this until you face trials. And when you face trials, then you see that there the thing you call my faith starts to grow legs and be able to, to stand starts to grow strong and be able to carry you. Now, you won't know this until it's proven to first to you. Before you even need to bother proving it to anybody else, you probably don't even need to. You need to be able to see it for yourself. That my faith is real. My faith is strong. My faith has legs to run. But how? You won't see it as long as you're, you know, cruising on a bed of roses. You won't. But when God puts these things before you, one of the first things He does is it proves the character of your faith. And the result of the proving of that character is praise, glory, and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning that when it is proven, Jesus Christ is revealed. You want to know why? Because when you endure hardship, you are identifying with Christ who endured hardship on the cross. And so you become like Christ. How many of you want to be Christ-like in this house? Show your raise hand, huh? Yeah? 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 I, I ask you the reverse question. How many of you don't want to be Christ-like in this house? Nah, okay, uh, no hands, uh, okay? So there's an in-between, right? How many of you are not sure if you dare to raise your hand? Because... If you want to be Christ-like, then part of being Christ-like includes, and it's not all of it, not all of being Christ-like is suffering. Of course not. Much of being Christ-like is being victorious. Much of being Christ-like is, is, being, is being loving to, those, to, to, to other people in, frankly, not always very pressuring circumstances. But part of being Christ-like is enduring the sufferings of the cross. And you and I may not endure the kind of crosses exactly as Jesus did where you've got two planks of wood and you get nailed to it. But other kinds of cross-bearing will come our way. And when we endure that suffering in Christ, our character of our faith is proven Praise, glory, and honour is the end result because Christ is revealed. People see the power of Christ. You see the power of Christ. Christ becomes manifest in the midst of suffering. I'm going to show you the rest of what Peter says. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you 
It's talking about the same test, okay? It's a few chapters down, but it's talking about the same test. As if something unusual was happening to you. I always love that little expression because it's saying that, what, you think very weird, is it, that you're suffering? Not weird, no? Not weird, no? Christian, not weird to be, to be suffering. It's not unusual. Why are you so weirded out by the fact that you have to suffer as a Christian? You don't. You shouldn't. It shouldn't be weirding you out. It's not an unusual thing. Why? Instead, you should rejoice as you share in the sufferings. You see? You should rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His what? Glory is revealed. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoice when His glory is revealed. Christ becomes visible to the world. Now, I'm not going to say that in the absence of Christian suffering, you won't see the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say that, okay? Because it's, it's not true. But when G Christians endure hardship and suffering righteously, lovingly, so sacrificially, trusting in God to bring deliverance, then Christ is manifest. And in Ephesians, it says that the church will be the manifestation of Christ to the powers and principalities even of the air. In other words, it's not only the humans who will see it, even in spiritual powers, they witness it. Angels and demonic powers will all be able to witness the power of the church manifesting Christ so that Christ becomes visible. Whether you believe or don't believe, you see something luabiasa when you see Christians suffering like Christ suffered in love and charity and giving and forgiving. Amen? Now I'm going to ask you, what are you like when you are down in the dumps? Because if you saw me when I'm down in the dumps, it's not a pretty picture. And I can pretty much guess that when you are down in your dumps, it's not a pretty picture too. None of us have pretty pictures when we are in our darkest moments. We probably do our fair bit of temper throwing, tantrum throwing, you know, before God, like, why, kenapa macam ini, you know, why you, why, why you do this to me, right? And we cry, we break down and all that, you know. But I want to share with you my last, if I cast my mind back to the most recent time where I was feeling really down, right? preparing a coffee in the kitchen, right? And I was already having a bad day, right? I felt that that day I couldn't think properly. I, my head was so dense and, and I was carrying things that grieved me, you know. Um, uh, um, I was carrying things that angered me as well, you know, and, and, I, and I couldn't. I just couldn't, right? It was just too much for me to take. And I couldn't sing. I couldn't pray. And I'm aware that Paul and Silas sang and prayed, but I could not. But I had my Spotify, and that helped me. And I just kind of like scrolled to one of the songs that I have in one of my playlists, and I put it to play, and then, and then Spotify took care of the rest, you know, and it was, one of the it was the last song in the playlist. So the next song that played was all random. It wasn't even for my playlist anymore. And so God used that to start, you know, throwing random worship songs at me that I'd never even known of. And while, while doing that, no, I wasn't doing my coffee video at the time <laughs> in case you're laughing and thinking about that. Um, and I, was, I, was, I just broke, right? I just broke and I just cried and cried and I just couldn't. It became an ugly cry and when I was down, I just brought it upstairs to my bedroom. I closed the 
blinds and just sat down on the floor and was just playing. And I just did my ugly cry thing in private, in the dark, and the Lord lifted my spirits up and through the words of Scripture and through the words of, of the worship music, songs like It Is Well. It wasn't It Is Well that played, but songs like that, you know, which reminded me to let go my soul, trust in Him. The waves, the wind, they still obey His name. Until today, I'm like, okay, God, oh, yeah, okay, good, 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 you know. Um, and slowly, He lifted me out of it. And that was my own little urban, fairly, you know, comfortable version of Paul and Silas, you know, worshipping in their prisons, you know, and God setting at least this one captive free that day. And I could step out of that bedroom with my eyes all smeared but dried clean and my heart lifted up to trust again that God is strong, God is good, God is in the house and He's, he, he's taking me through this to do what? To do some of those things that I just showed you on the scriptures in First Peter, right? And my hope and trust is that God will take you on the same journeys. When you go through really dark moments. My hope and prayer is that God can give you the right language, whether it's the language of music, the language of prayer, the language of song, to just lift you up because God wants to lift you up. And He will use, he will use whatever it is to lift you up. And sometimes He will use the people around you to lift you up. And He will bring people into your path because you don't have strength anymore and someone's going to come and lift you up. For me, it was some worship band on Spotify that did that lifting up. And that worship leader reached right across, you know, the digital space and time and everything to just proverbially lift me out of my gloom. And it was God's hand, really, that did that. God will reach out to you. I need you to know this. So if you're going through really hard times, I want to encourage you to kind of, so to speak, to have a song in your heart. But it's not like, la di da, have a song in your heart, but have a prayer in your heart. Have, and if you don't have enough, as I did not have enough that day, then let someone else have that song in their, their heart for you. And sometimes that's all it takes. Amen? When you go through downturns with praise and prayer, your witness will do wonders. And I'm going to preface this, right? As you hear me say this, you're going to start feeling maybe just a little bit of church pressure to have it all together so that other people can see a good witness. I'm going to pause there, okay? And then you can just think about it. About midnight, Paul Silas praying, singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I don't know if you are a prisoner and you're in that prison cell, and you're hearing Paul and Silas just singing away, whether it's singing in groans, and like, let go, my soul, or whether they're going like, hallelujah, Jesus in my heart, right? Whichever it may be, you're sitting there and going like, these guys for real, see how these guys, right? These guys for real? Like, Dude, you're in prison. Do prisoner things, right? You sit around and groan, maybe like, like, but no, they are, right? Because they're going like, let go my soul. Trust in Him, right? Um, and that's their, that's their divine way of growing, groaning, I suppose, right? But something weird is taking place because all of these fellow inmates are hearing and witnessing what these Christians are doing when they are in prison. This is what Christians are like in prison. They're weird. They're strange. 
they're different. Don't even want to be like them, right? They can't do normal things in regular scenarios, but they stand out, right? And what happens? The earthquake comes. And when the earthquake comes, their own, their own chains break. Everyone's chains break. And so unusual thing, thing, these guys praying to God, probably praying for earthquake, I don't know if they were, praying for God to deliver, I'm sure likely it was, maybe even praying for the inmates, praying for the guy there in number five, praying for that guy now in cell number 16, right? I don't know. I'm quite sure they weren't numbered that way, right? And then suddenly everything breaks. They're like, oh my gosh, thank you for praying for me. Thank you for singing to your God. Thank you for, I don't know what you're doing. We're all weird people, but thank you, whatever you're doing. Like, whoa, wow, right? Thank you. Amazing. I don't even want to stay long enough to find out what kind of people they are, but they're definitely going to tell, have a story to tell. Of course, the normal part of law and order comes in and, you know, they remain there, right? Um, but the fascinating thing is the prison doors fling open, right? The jailer is f- f- freaking out, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm done for. And Paul assures him, no, don't kill yourself. All of us are here. All the prisoners are accounted for. We are all here, right? Now, if you are a prisoner in a situation like that, what would you say? Minus one! <laughs> You're like, <laughs> right? Not me! I'm not staying! You can go do your goody two-shoes thing. I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. Prison doors. Are, I'm waiting for this to open. This open. Everything is miraculous. Wow, thank you, Christian God. I'm going to take my chance, right? But somehow, no chaos, no riot, no stampede in the prison, you know. Um, there's already a light, right? Outside, right? I don't know. I, I can't explain this, right? All I know is that this reminds me of another thing that happens later in the book of Acts. Now, we will cover this in detail in this last, last, last or second last uh, installment of the book of Acts, okay? Um, this in some weeks' time. But in Acts 27, there is a situation where Paul is on a ship. He's alone now, right? And they are going from place to place on their way to Rome. And Paul's on a ship with prisoners, soldiers, sailors, and a centurion. He's on his way for his trial. He's taken over the spiritual leadership of that ship, right? He started to give uh, uh, instructions like, this is what y'all got to do, right? Not just spiritual leadership. He's taken over some amount of leadership. He's given them counsel. This is what we should do. We should throw this thing down off the boat. We should lighten the boat. We shouldn't set sail. Weather's going to be bad. Uh, Sailors don't listen to him, right? Like, ah, you don't know anything. Sit down, young man, old man, you know. Sit down, you know. And then he starts to pray for the people on the ship, right? He starts taking over spiritual leadership, giving counsel, you know. And he even conducts communion for himself within the hearing of everybody, right? And then he encourages everybody, this is the last day to eat bread. So everybody just eat to your heart's content because we're throwing the, 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 the excess weight off already. If not, we'll, 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 we'll run this ship down, right? And so eventually the next day, the ship hits a sandbar. The whole thing breaks apart. The soldiers see prisoners with potential to swim away and escape. So again, the same scenario is taking place. Soldiers see that there's a chance that there's prisoners and the soldiers tell themselves, I'm going to kill all of these prisoners because if they escape, it's my life for theirs. Same situation, 
But somehow, because Paul is there and the centurion is determined to get Paul to Rome, the centurion blocks what the prisoners try to do. And I don't know what kind of leadership Paul uh, uh, um, exercises in the midst of all this chaos, but all the prisoners grab onto broken bits of ship, you know, and eventually everyone reaches the shore safely. And this, this reminds me of this, where you have situations where prisoners have the chance to be set free, to escape, and frankly, you know, it's a bad situation. And somehow, because Paul is there, by whatever reason, their lives are saved, no one gets killed, and everyone gets together, and law and order can see out its cause. Fascinating. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you of something I said to you just now. When you... When, when you respond to dark times and downturns with praise, with prayer, it has a witnessing power. What Paul has done here, right, has some kind of witnessing power to the centurion, perhaps even to the other prisoners as well. There is a power to your witness when you go through shipwrecks, when you go through imprisonments, when you go through all kinds of things. So, the question you are thinking right now is, wow, pastor, so pressure. I'm going through a bad time and somehow you're telling me that everyone is watching my reaction to my bad time so that it has to be a good witness. So like that, how? Just fake a brave response lah, huh? so that people can have a good witness. Is that pressuring for you? Is it a kind of, the kind of thing that all of us in church sometimes do to you? Like, oh no. Now, I'm going to enact a version of me, okay? Like, like a, a typical, maybe a typical pastor. Right? Brother, sister, when you go through hard time, uh, you must be strong, you know, so that other people, uh, when they see you, uh, they, can, they can be encouraged. Brother, sister, you know, when you go through dark times, uh, you must be able to worship and praise through it. You know why? Because when you can praise through it, people will see your witness and then they will come to know Jesus Christ. Means, uh, hey friend, you got no room to be sad, is it? You got no room to be, to be broken. You got no room to be all these things. Why? Because you're constantly living for other people's witness and you're very pressure law every day. Then in the end, you'll be like this because when you don't have the strength to be strong, then you'll be just like, oh, nye, nye, kek, kek, outlaw, like, just kind of squeeze out some kind of like, like, like very, very strong Christian image. Like, I'm just going to praise the Lord, but inside you're dying. And, like, like, and then I'm just going to do that uh, for the sake of other people's witness. No. I don't need you to be that. In fact, I don't want you to be that. I want you to be authentic in your response to your downturns. And that's what I mean when I say that when you are authentic in your response to difficult times, that becomes a witness. I don't need you to pretend to hallelujah Jesus, to, put, to, to show people that you are constantly victorious and this Christian can never be beaten down even though you are like, you cannot anymore but you still have to put up a show because Christians cannot be sad. Christians must always have the joy of the Lord in their heart, you know, and like, and then you just keep putting up a show. I don't need you to be this. Jesus doesn't need you to be this. Jesus wants you to be authentic as you face your trials. So if you can muster up the power and the strength and the fire, go for it. But if you can't, don't jam it up. Because that's not a witness. That's just 
a PR campaign. It's not authentic. You don't need that. The world does not need a PR campaign. The world needs authentic Christians. And so when you go through your downturns, your authentic revelation of where you're at, holding on to Christ, that's what the world needs to see. And whether you're holding on to Christ comes with tears or with song or sometimes both, do that. Be who you are before Christ and wrestle with the realities that God is good and life is hard. Wrestle with that before Christ and before the world. And that, the witness will take care of itself. But I need you to be authentic when you face downturns. That's all. Christ needs you to be authentic because your inauthentic witness is not witness. Amen? Amen? So yes, I do desire that your response to downturns becomes a witness. I do desire that every one of you can bear witness and testimony to how good God is every time you go through a challenge. I long for that for you. And I long for that witnessing to be done in as authentic a way where you hold on to the Lord and trust Him in whatever way your situation demands. When you face downturns with praise and prayer, your witness, the way you engage authentically, will do wonders. And then there is rescue just around the corner and rejoicing just around the corner. Paul stops the jailer from committing suicide. He assures the jailer that all the prisoners are accounted for. He isn't in quite as bad a mess as he initially thought he was in. The jailer is still frightened. He asks Paul, how can he be saved? Or how can he be rescued? And then Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be rescued. He shares the gospel and then he broadens the invitation to include his family. Then they, sh they share the gospel to the jailer's family. The jailer washes his wounds. They baptize the jailer and the family. The jailer brings them to his house, sets a meal for them, and then they all rejoice together. Now, I'm going to show it to you in this sense because it's a beautiful picture. I want you to see this because it's... I don't know. I don't know if this moves you the way it moves me, my friends. This moves me so deeply. that You have people who, for all intents and purposes, should not be friends. One is a convict. The other is a jailer. You've got Christian Jews on one side. You've got Greek Roman instruments of government on the other side. And one side is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the other and the other is washing the wounds of one side and this one side is baptizing them and their entire family and this side is laying a table before them and sharing food and breaking bread and fellowshipping together. How is this a prison? This is not a prison, at least not in the conventional sense. This is prison doors opening. That's what it is. This is what happens when Jesus comes and says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to declare good news to the poor, setting of captives free, the year of the Lord's favour. It looks like this. When prisons become places of reconciliation and exchange and cross-cultural, cross-cultural, cross, cross 
economic lines, cross religious lines, cross whatever, like almost every single social divide is being breached here. And they are loving one another as new members of a Christian family. They rejoice together. It's so beautiful. We need to be this kind of church. Now, I'll, this one I'll put on all of us. Let us be this kind of church. Let us be this kind of church. This is the kind of church that prays for their enemies. Loves their enemies and prays for those who persecute them. I want to be this kind of church. I'm not always like this kind of church. People cut me off on the road. I kind of like, you know, I, you know, manifest in a bad way, right? And then the Lord reminds me that they too are made in the image of God and He reminds me that this kind of things can happen between people who don't agree at the start. Now imagine now, imagine that you are the jailer or one of the family members of the jailer. Okay? Have you close your eyes? You are the jailer. Okay? That's you. Right? You and your family have just been saved. Maybe you're the jailer's daughter. Maybe you're the jailer's son and you were awoke, awakened in the night, right? Um, because of an earthquake and you know your father or your husband is there doing his rounds that night. He's, rest, he's on duty that night, right? He's on call that night. And you and mom wakes everyone and says, let's go look at that, right? And everybody goes there and you realize that is safe. He's fine. And there are these weird Christian people and who's talking about how they can all be more than just safe, but saved. Now I want you to open your eyes. Today is a few years after that incident. Your whole family was baptized that night. Your whole family came into knowledge of Christ that night. A few years have passed and you are part of the home churches in the city of Philippi. That's where you've always lived. You and your church gather in small homes peppered throughout the city. That's your church. All of you collectively are known as the church in Philippi. This man who made a visit to your father's prison where he works has since moved on and he's since been imprisoned in other future places. <laughs> what a guy, right? And he writes a letter to your church and you are there in the midst of each other. Imagine you're the jailer, imagine you're the jailer's family and you hear chapter 1 of Philippians being read out to you. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, you the jailer, you the jailer's family and the rest of the church in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And when you hear those words, partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, you remember that mom sat at dinner before these prisoners. You remember dad washed the wounds of these prisoners and these prisoners shared the gospel with your family and then later baptized your whole family. And together you were partnered in ministry and you were partnered in the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And every week as you gather as a church in Philippi, God is continuing the good work that He started on that fateful night of the earthquake in the prison. And then He goes on. In verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me, what happened to him? Is it what happened to him in Philippi on that night? Is it what has happened to him ever since then, getting jailed in numerous other places? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And of course you know that because you are a direct recipient of this man's imprisonment leading to the gospel being extended to your own family. And now what he's saying, you personally know to be true. And then he goes on, he says, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. You look at your dad and how his confidence has grown because of the imprisonment of Paul. You look at your brothers, sisters looking at each other, sisters, children, all looking at mum and saying that all our confidence has grown because of this man's imprisonment. We are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And I want you to see, see this. When I read this, this, this slide, I remember Abraham sacrificing Isaac. How Abraham had lifted the knife and was about to plunge it and then God said stop don't kill it's like whoa I was, I, was, I was about to God said don't kill right and in Hebrews the writer of Hebrews describes it as it's as if that son had died and then God gave it back to him so when he lifted that hand he was prepared that the son would die trusting that God, if He wants, can give that son back to him. And he, and he did it. He raised his hand and God stopped him. And when you see this, and you are the family, the children of the Philippian jailer, you look at your father and you say, my dad, I've heard him tell this story many times since then. It's as if he had died. He had raised that sword. He had readied himself to die that night. And then... God said, stop, you don't have to die. But it's as if something had died there that night. His old self had died there that night. The old jailer had died there that night. And in his place, God raised up a new person. Now you belong to me because this new life I gave to you. I give you a new lease of life. I give you a new lease of life. So now live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I have given you this leaves of life and Paul says later in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. 
And so now it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, remember those words, believe in Christ, right? And you shall be saved. It's no longer that you just believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had now and here that I still have. In other words, now that you have been saved, God has given you a new life. The conflict that you see here is not going out there and inflicting conflict on other people. The conflict that you see here is in part the conflict between living in a world that is sinful and still living for a Christ who is divine. And it's also a conflict upon your body as a sinful world subjects the believer of Jesus to sometimes untold pain and grief. Bear the cross. Live a life worthy of the gospel because He's given you a new lease of life. And how this family will continue to be influential, faithful followers in the city and in the church in Philippi, history does not record. When we get to that other shore in New Jerusalem, we can go look out look up the Philippian jailer and his descendants and give thanks together and we get to join in the celebration of Jesus Christ there. Amen? All we have is a letter Paul wrote to their church and you can see traces of what Paul might have been thinking about some of the people who are in the midst of the crowd as it's being read. It all began though with prayer and worship in the darkest hours. None of this would have taken place if Paul and Silas slumped in defeat and said, it's over, it's done, Celiao, you know, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. If they brought their attitude to their darkest hour, none of this, none of this would have happened. But because they brought whatever little fight they had, maybe it was much, maybe it was little, they brought it all there. And they showed up with prayer and with worship. God could take it and tell a story and rescue lives with it. Church, that's our story too. Sometime in your walk, someone, can I have the worship team on stage? Sometime in your walk, someone overcame adversity to bring the gospel before you. Maybe they were down, maybe they were lost, maybe they themselves were frightened and angry, but God picked them up and they allowed themselves to be used by God to be picked up. And some, some, at some point, they brought the gospel before you. And you too are a recipient of this grace. Today or tomorrow, you may be facing your own set of downturns, your own set of down days. I want to encourage you, through all of that, trust in Him. Trust in Him. Let's all rise to our feet. As the worship is going, if any of you desire prayer, if any of you desire prayer for a particularly difficult season in your life, with all eyes closed, I want you to just step out to the front because we want to minister to you. Amen? And as you step out to the front, it's your way of saying that God, 
I don't have it all. I'm just going to trust in you and allow you to take over. And, I, and whoever's going to pray for me, it's just going to be another voice of prayer that's lifting up to heaven so that you can do something in me. If that is you, all eyes closed. You can just feel free to step out at any time. Amen? At any time. No pressure. If all you can do is just lift your hand from wherever you're standing, you know, and just say, God, I don't have strength to even go out to the front, but I can lift my hand up here, you know. And if you lift your hand and you just keep lifting your hand, someone will come to you and pray with you, right? But for, uh, for now, for the rest of us, I just want us to just lift our voice in worship. Amen? My soul and trust in Him The waves and wind still know His name So let go my soul and trust in Him The waves and wind still know Desire prayer, I'll invite you to come out to the front. Let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. Let's worship the Lord. Let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know. All eyes closed. All eyes closed. Just hold your hands out before you. you know, maybe some of you just don't feel ready to stand up in front of others. That's fine. Just hold your hands in front of you. The Lord sees those hands. The Lord sees your hands before you. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Father God, that you start a work do this work in each and every one of us through difficult moments. I pray, Father God, in Jesus' name, you add strength to my sisters and brothers who are here, Lord God. Father, for those of us who are just hanging by a thread, if you are just hanging by a thread, church, I want you to know that the Lord adds strengths. He adds strengths to your thread and He strengthens your strength. And He says, a threefold cord shall not be broken. And that threefold cord is not you. That threefold cord is the cord of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that come together with you and they bind and weld together with you so that you shall not break because when you are one with Christ, He holds you together. He holds you together. So let let go, my soul, trust in Him. The waves and wind, the waves and wind, the storms of this life, they recognize the name of Jesus. They submit to the name of Jesus. They obey the name of Jesus. Every storm, in the name of Jesus Christ, we command you to be still. And Father, we ask, Lord God, that you strengthen your body of believers here and there. And you give us strength to keep fighting the good fight, running the good race as you give them there. And may it be well with all of our souls. Church, today the Lord is pleased because you have stood with your fellow, with your fellow brethren and you've remembered them on a day like this and you've prayed for them and you've been their voice where some of them may not have had 
enough to lift a voice. You have lifted your voice on their behalf. And we together collectively ask prison doors to be broken open, foundations of evil to be shaken and displaced and replaced with foundation of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, whose government is a government of love and, and whose throne is the throne of the cross. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn and lift up His countenance upon you and give you shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.